The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. February 16th edition of the PFT PM Podcast. This one comes after six hours of radio today. I know. Thank you for your service. It's hard to sit here on my ass and talk. Let me tell you, though, I have newfound respect for anybody that does four or more hours a day every day. Six hours. It just gets to the point where you can't remember what you've said. You can't remember how you said it. You don't want to cover the same ground again, but then you're thinking it may be a completely different audience. No one is dumb enough to sit and listen to six straight hours of the same show. You would think. I want to always do something new every segment. I hate going back and covering tracks again, but I hate being too repetitive. It's a tough balance. It's a weird thing. We did the six hours because WEEI was off the air for 12 hours today, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern for mandatory sensitivity training. WEEI, one of the leading sports talk stations in Boston. And look, I don't know how well the show was received. I understand people get used to their, their listening habits And they're very loyal, fiercely loyal. And there's a lot of stuff going on in Boston now about whether and to what extent it's fair that WEEI has faced the criticism it has. There there were some stupid things said. And I'm on record as saying I don't think you need 12-hour training to teach someone how to not say stupid things. I'd like to think people get it. Either get it or you don't. And if your hosts don't get it, you need to get new hosts. It's that simple. But I know there's value in saying things to get people all riled up or push their buttons or entertain them. I used to watch the Imus show on MSNBC all the time. I loved it. He crossed the line. He went away. Never quite came back from that one. But that's the risk that you run when you're always pushing the envelope. One of those days when you're on that long, you're going to push the envelope a little bit too far. And you're going to get yourself into a problem. And doing six hours a day, I've got a feeling of... How day after day after day, being on for that long, you eventually eventually find yourself stepping in something brown and smelly that takes forever to scrape out of your shoe. Remember when you were a kid? When I was a kid and I had, was it Keds? Before Nike, before Reebok, there wasn't a whole lot by way of shoe selection. Keds. And they had these thin diagonal lines that went back and forth and if you stepped in a pile of dog shit with those you got a twig and it and it it took forever to get it all out so anyway not something i would say on the air that's the other thing too when you get used to doing a podcast and you say whatever you want and then you're on the air and you can't say whatever you want so for that reason i'm probably not gonna go on and on Definitely not for six hours in the PFTM PM podcast today. Half hour, maybe. Five down territory, and I'm treating the 
explanation that I just gave you about something you don't care about at all as first down. Second down, I'm fascinated by the looming tug of war between Fox and ESPN for Peyton Manning's services. I am a firm believer that he's going to be highly successful at whatever he does. He's driven, he's motivated, he's dedicated. I heard that when he hosted Saturday Night Live, he showed up with a stack of notes 18 inches high. He's very good. He'll be prepared, but he'll be spontaneous. He'll be spontaneous because he'll be so prepared, he'll always have something to say because he has thought about it and read about it and studied film, and he knows exactly what's going on. He will be fantastic, whether it's Fox on Thursday night or ESPN on Monday night. And if I were him, I'd go with Fox on Thursday night because it's a bigger platform. More people will be watching because it's a three-letter network. It's broadcast TV, and it's also simulcast on NFL Network. Bigger network, bigger deal, bigger night, and probably bigger money, although that's a factor as well. I don't know what you pay him. John Gruden was supposedly getting $6.5 for the whole year. You need a million a game for Peyton Manning? 800000 a game? I don't know. But the fact that he's been coy about it, that's the best leverage. If your attitude is, eh, I don't really want to do it. But we need you, Peyton. Yeah, eh, I don't really want to do it. How about 500000 a year? A game? Eh, nah, I'm fine. I don't need money. I'd rather be with my family. So they keep pumping it up. 750, 800, 900, 950. You don't even have to make an offer. Nah, eh, nah, I'm fine. No, I'm good. You know, people think eventually he's going to own a team. Well, you need a lot of money to own a team, so you may as well squeeze as much as you can out of Fox or ESPN to make it easier. Just work in TV for 10 years, and you're good to go. You can just buy the team. I don't know that he'll ever have enough money to be the principal owner, the controlling owner of a team. Oh, he'll be controlling. That's not what I mean, though. To be the guy who's in charge, the guy who calls the shots. you got to own at least 30% of the team. you got to have liquidity well beyond that. you got to be able to finance the operations and... I just don't, I don't know what he's made. He's made a ton of money playing. He's made a ton of money from nationwide and nationwide and nationwide. I don't know that he has enough, though, to, to say I'm going to own and operate and run a team, but maybe after 10 years of milking Fox or ESPN, and he'll be good. It's not like he's stealing money. He'll be good. It'll be worth it. I still say no one tunes in to watch a game to hear what a broadcaster has to say, but I think Peyton Manning would probably be one of the closest things to get people to tune in. People who are on the fence. I learn more about the game, they'll say, when I when I watch Peyton Manning. It's not just enjoying the game. It's feeling like I know more about it on the other end, and I think that's how it'll be. I hope he does it. I hope he does it. And I think it'll be a lot better than Tony Romo immediately. Unless he does those sound effects. Unless it's some new trend. God forbid that's a new trend. That that's going to catch on. And every time you watch a game now, you're going to hear Sam Rosen. God. And I don't know whether it's because... I don't know. Did, did it just get worse as the season went on? Did I not notice it? Did it just not drive me crazy? You know, there'll be somebody you know who they do something really annoying, but you don't notice it. And then all of a sudden, you kind of notice it. And it's like, oh, that's weird. I never noticed that before. And then like within a week, you want to kill them. Just stop it. Stop that. 
So I, I don't remember it from the Thursday night games. And I didn't hear a lot of Tony Romo calling games on Sundays because we're watching a bunch of them at once and the audio jumps around and for the late afternoon game, whether it's CBS or Fox, we got a lot of stuff going on. So it's not like I'm glued to the TV listening to every little thing Tony Romo says, but man, by, by the playoffs, God. All right. Anyway, Peyton, do it. Take the Fox gig, take them for every dollar you can. And be great, because he will be. Marty Herney's been reinstated by the Carolina Panthers. This was a weird situation. I, I respect the NFL for getting the investigation concluded. They should have been able to get it done even faster. Marty Herney met with Lisa Friel last Friday. This one, there was no evidence, right? Here's what happened. His ex-wife went to court to get a protective order. She did it via what they call an ex parte proceeding. That's Latin, which means something. I don't know. But what it means as a practical matter is... They went in and did this without the other side being even represented. There was no version. There was no he said, she said. It was just she said, and she didn't say enough to convince the judge there was any evidence of wrongdoing. He never should have been put on administrative leave. The Panthers, I think, freaked out. This is in the aftermath, after all, of the Jerry Richardson situation, the forced sale coming from allegations of workplace misconduct, as documented in multiple settlement agreements, and... I think that the Panthers just decided we better take action and wait for the league to clear the guy. And the league, you know, probably took longer than it could have. But the good news is they cleared him and he's back. Because there was a thought that the league was was putting the screws to the Panthers, trying to maybe get them to hire an external candidate because the three external candidates are considering for the GM job are minorities. And I think the NFL is getting a little concerned about the level of representation of minorities in the ranks of general managers. Because... With Sashi Brown out and Ozzie Newsom eventually gone and Doug Whaley fired last year, they're dwindling. Reggie McKenzie and Ozzie Newsom, I think right now, may be the only minority GMs. I'd have to look at the full list, but there's fewer than there were. And there was a thought that, that the, the NFL was maybe trying to engineer this so the Panthers would completely freak out and say, we just have to hire a different GM. We need a GM. We don't have Herney. We're not going to bring Herney back until the NFL clears him. They haven't cleared him. We better just hire a GM. And a week ago, there was a sense that that's what was going to happen. So the Panthers waited. The NFL got it done. And now the Panthers can continue to make their plans for the offseason. Fairly important time of the year. Fourth down, speaking of the Panthers, Scott Turner, the son of Norv Turner, I think everyone named Turner who resided in or around Minneapolis the last couple of years is now working for the Panthers in Carolina. Scott Turner on Cam Newton, he's not going to try to fix him. He doesn't need to be fixed. That's right. The key is keeping him healthy. I sense that the Panthers are trying to transition Newton away from being a mobile quarterback because of the, the various injuries. He had ankle surgery a few years ago, late in the offseason. He had shoulder surgery last year. Still had a shoulder issue all the way through the regular season and into the postseason. I mean, you have to embrace the fact that the guy is an impressive physical specimen who can run the ball effectively. But you have to balance it out, and you have to work with him, and you have to teach him how to avoid contact. He can't embrace it. He's fearless, and that's admirable. But getting yourself in a position where you're banged up and you're having surgery in the offseason and you're limiting your effectiveness and shortening your career and putting yourself in a position where you're not going to be as good as you could be, that's not good for your team. 
So they're not going to try to fix him. They're just trying to make the best possible version of Cam Newton. And I'm all for that. The key, though, is find a way to get this guy to play within himself. Find a way to stay healthy. Not the easiest thing to do because no matter how hard you try to drill something into someone, no matter how much you practice it, no matter how much you simulate it, when it's go time, all those concerns go out the window. Fifth down. Man, this was fast today. Fifth down. A.J. McCarron. I've already said plenty about this on PFT Live. We've written about it at ProFootballTalk.com. The one point that I want to emphasize, because at one point I thought, yeah, you know what, the Bengals, they could just keep McCarron and let Andy Dalton go. Here's the thing, though. It's going to be more expensive to sign McCarron than it would be to keep Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton did a $16 million a year deal. He's making 13.7 this year. Dalton's got to be thinking, hey, when do I get paid again? And Dalton may be upset after he sees what McCarron gets on the open market because it's going to be more than $16 million a year. What? Yeah. McCarron has four meaningful starts. Jimmy Garoppolo has four, no, seven largely meaningless starts. McCarron has four meaningful starts. McCarron started a playoff game. McCarron did everything he could to win that game. McCarron is going to be someone's starter next year. Denver, Arizona, Minnesota. He's going to be starting for someone. And he's going to make more than Andy Dalton does. Just wait. It's just a matter of time. Because now he's won his grievance. He's an unrestricted free agent as of March 14. The Bengals improperly put him on the non-football injury list in 2014. That's what the arbitrator found. The Bengals aren't getting in any trouble, though. The NFL agrees with what the Bengals did, even if the arbitrator didn't. So now McCarron becomes fully and completely unrestricted, goes wherever he wants. He's going to be a starter. He's going to get paid, and we'll see how good he is. But if Mike Glennon got $16 million last year from the Bears, somebody's going to give McCarron $16 million. There still aren't enough good quarterbacks to go around. All right, question time before we call it a day on this Friday edition of the PFTPM podcast. I'll have longer episodes next week. I just really, I'm, I'm worn out from the six hours of sitting on my ass talking on radio today. Let's see what we got here. Question time. 47 of them. Jeez. All right. I'm not going to answer them all, but here we go. At Ned's feed, if football goes back to the original rules, round laced ball, will it change the quarterback position and eliminate the need for spirals? Re- what? Is, are you messing with me, Ned's feed? At DTC Josh M, Sean or Smitty in Rough and Rowdy. I don't follow the Barstool crowd well enough to know who Sean or Smitty are. Last time around, I knew who Hank was when they did it in December because he's the producer for Pardon My Take. The only people I really know at Barstool are Pat McAfee and the Pardon My Take guys. So I don't know Sean or Smitty. But Rough and Rowdy's tonight in Morgantown, just up the road. You know, I, I thought about going up to it. And I kind of got my weekend screwed up, and I got some other things going on. And, and and you know, I ultimately, I had a whole week of being around crowds, and, and I had fun. But I'm still kind of in, let's just stay in the bunker mode. So I think that, that I may be able to watch it tonight. We had fun watching it in December. It's just a bunch of good old boys beating the shit out of each other with no discernible boxing talent. So Sean and Smitty, I guess, are going to fight, and I don't know anything about either of them, so I don't know who's going to win. At 
Jay Ireland, 80. What is the recourse for Marty Herney if he never gets his job back? He did get his job back, Jay. He's back. He's back on the job. Now, he's only signed through June. They're going to hire a new GM at some point. And maybe it'll be Marty, maybe it won't. At some point, there's going to be a new owner of the team, and maybe it'll be the GM that gets hired, maybe it won't. But Herney came back last year after Dave Gettleman was fired, and while on leave as a result of the domestic violence complaint that his ex-wife made that, that ultimately had no evidence, there was a concern that maybe the Panthers were going to cut the cord and put him back to work. And, and the recourse he would have had is, I get paid for the balance of my contract, which takes him through June. But that's not the issue because he's, he's back to work. At Sergio D, he's got a schmoopy gif from Seinfeld. That somehow came up today during the six hours. Sergio, thanks for listening today. Because there was something about who's going to be schmoopy. At some point, they're calling somebody schmoopy. I have no recollection what it was about, though. At CDL QB8, do you play golf? If so, what do you shoot? I don't play golf now. I go through a phase once every... Really, the range is 5 to 15 years where I rediscover golf. And here's what happens. I go out and play for fun, recognizing that I suck. And then I have fun because I don't expect anything. And then there'll be a shot or two where it's like, yeah, man, you know, I could be decent at this. So then you go have fun again. And the second time, yeah, it's fun. A couple more shots. Yeah, you know what? I can pop the ball a little bit. Once out of every, I don't know, seven, eight times. And then you start going to the driving range a little bit. And it's fun, right? Hanging out with your son, hanging out with your nephew, hanging out with your brother-in-law, hanging out with some friends. This is fun. Smoke a cigar out in the open for a change instead of in the barn. This is fun. And then you cross over to you're becoming decent. And it's no longer a source of fun. Because you feel like you suck. Because you can't hit it half the time the way you hit it the other half of the time. And then you quit for another 5 to 15 years. What I did the last time, because I'm left-handed. And I started golfing when somebody had a bag of crappy old clubs when I was 14. And we went over to this big field near where I lived. And we had golf balls. It's like, oh, let's just, hit, let's just do this. Let's hit them. And uh, it was right-handed clubs. So what the hell? I started golfing right-handed. And what I did a couple of years ago... Man, nobody's interested in this except me, and I barely am. What I did a couple of years ago, a friend of mine had left-handed clubs, so I thought, you know what? I mean, I bat left-handed. I have played softball in years, but I, I'm more familiar with that motion. I got a horrible natural slice when I golf right-handed, so I figured, what the hell? I'll try left-handed. And it's like, hey, you know what? I was getting pretty good left-handed. It was like, it was just this weird thing, like this new discovery. It was strange. It was compelling. And I was getting pretty good golfing left-handed. So I bought left-handed clubs. And then the season ended and football season started and I didn't have time to golf. And then the next March or April came around. I went to the driving range and I was hitting left-handed. And, you know, it's, hey, I still got it. I'm working it, you know, trying not to go back to right-handed, not even thinking about right-handed, staying left-handed. And then I played one round last year and I was god-awful. And I said, that's it, I'm done. And I haven't golfed since. So I got a set of left-handed golf clubs if anybody wants to buy them. They haven't been. They're lightly used. And my right, I don't know where my right-handed clubs are. 
Maybe I should go back to right-handed. And then I'll, I'll get good again, and I'll buy a new set of right-handed clubs. So I'll be covered either way. <sighs> at J. Ireland 80, do all of the employees at WEEI hate Christian Fourier for making them have to spend a Friday watching sexual harassment videos? Look, I think it was more than what Fourier did last week with the Asian accent. I think that was just one of the tipping points. I, I, I don't listen to local radio anywhere unless there's an interview that is of interest to me. I just don't. I don't have time to. I have my own show in the morning. I don't listen to radio after that. I listen to some podcasts from time to time, but I, I just don't. When you talk, I, I, I guess I should want to listen more. Maybe I'd get better eventually. I think I'm, I'm as bad and as good as I'm ever going to be. I, I really don't think I'm going to suddenly find some new level of performance, and I don't think I'm going to get any worse than I currently am. I think I've found my lane, so it's not like I need to do it for training purposes, but I think it's a deeper issue than what happened last Friday with Christian Foria pretending to be Don Yee with a horribly racist accent. At Len Daly, what's the biggest benefit for all involved in having the combine? Here's the biggest benefit, and I know this is a boring answer, but it's the truth. It's having everyone together in one place for medical evaluations because you get one set of x-rays, one MRI, one this, one that. It's all collected. It's all there. That's the benefit of it. Instead of having one guy go to 32 different teams to be x-rayed 32 different times, to be evaluated 32 different times, to be poked and prodded 32 different times, or at least as many times as they're invited to the facility. This is one time you go and you get the medical evaluation. And all the other stuff, the underwear Olympics, I coined that term a long time ago. I never got any money for it either. Everybody calls it that now. Everybody else calls it to the point where I don't even want to call it that anymore. But it's not football. It's not. Running 40 yards in a straight line with no pads on. When does that ever happen on a football field? You only run 40 yards in a straight line when something really good has happened or something really bad has happened. And unless something extremely unusual happens, your pads stay on. So the medical is the most important. And they try to take advantage of the fact that the guys are there, so they do all the other things. It, it really is like the biggest off-season convention where there's a lot of work. It's not like, but but there's a lot of like guys going out boozing, which I don't do, thank God, because I get up at 6 a.m. If the show was noon to 3, maybe there'd be some elbow bending. But uh, when you got to get up at 5, uh, not exactly conducive to, uh, you know, what, what you hear. You hear the stories about, and binge drinking a real issue for a lot of people in the NFL. I think it's a way they deal with stress, but that's part of it too. At Roaring R Austria, why would the Panthers want to remove the interim tag on Herney's title before the team is sold? It's not like somebody would hire him away. Keep up the great work. Thank you. P.S. Do you happen to know a sports journalist slash former lawyer who would be able to do a better job than Herney? Yeah, not me. I'll think of another one. Uh, I'm not interested. Trust me. And, and not that I've had plenty of overtures over the years, but every once in a while, they'll be like, well, you know, you could do that. Because yeah, I think I think that, that there are some who would view me as somebody who would be like a jack of all trades in a front office where I could help advise with legal issues. I could advise with PR. I could advise with salary cap. I could find loopholes. The last time the issue came up, somebody said, you're really good at finding like the, the, the things that you can use to your advantage in the rules. And 
I'm just not interested in it. I, I don't. I, first of all, it would be actual work. Second of all, you'd be at the mercy of an owner who would fire everybody at the drop of a hat. And what do I do with what I've built? What do I do with what I have? Just stop? No. No. So anyway, uh, I, I think the Panthers want to have a sense of stability in the organization while the sale goes through. No one knows when the sale is going to be preliminarily done, and then it takes time before it closes, and the owner's going to want to let the death settle. I think you'll want to get through the 2018 season before you would change anything. That's it. So I think that they'd like to keep Herney around at least, you know, for another year. And they extended the contract of Ron Rivera, which is meaningless. Like, hey, Ron Rivera, he's got long-term security. No, he doesn't. He's just going to get a buyout if the new owner decides to make a change. Same thing with the GM. You get a buyout. You provide stability for the transition, and then after that, the person who bought the team has enough money to say, okay, you got two years left on your contract. I'll pay you now. Thank you for your service. Move on, and I'm going to bring in my own person. But there is value to having some continuity in those early days of new ownership because if you got to fire everybody, then you got to hire everybody. That's one of the reasons why when there's a new coach or a new GM, they don't just completely and totally clean house top to bottom, especially a GM. You can't clean house top to bottom because then you got to hire all the, you have work that's ongoing. You need to keep some of the people around while you get yourself comfortable. And then after a year or two, you fire everybody. At Burkle in Boston, great show today. Six hours is like triple overtime NFL playoff game for sports radio. If a playoff game did go to triple overtime, would they have another halftime after the sixth quarter? I, you know, I don't know. I, what do they do? I think they do that. I think after the second quarter, they reset like it's halftime. I think that's what happens. So you go to overtime, you play the full first quarter, and then you switch ends for the second overtime period. And I think after that, they would do the equivalent of a short halftime and re-kick. I think that's what they do. Probably re-flip the coin. I think that's what they do. I'd have to look into that. Thank you for the uh, compliment, though. I typically don't read those out loud, but... Uh, glad I did because it was a weird day because I, I again these people in Boston are used to their show and and all of a sudden there's this outsider who's talking only about football talking about teams other than the Patriots why the hell do we want to listen to this at mfox49 does Colin Kaepernick or Johnny Manziel make it back to the league first or neither I, uh, I'd have to say neither I think at this point neither now Manziel's at least going to have an opportunity to get someone's attention if Colin Kaepernick wins his collusion grievance, is part of is part of the order that someone has to sign him, or do, do, the, do, the, do the financial damages keep racking up while he isn't signed? I just feel like you don't tell billionaires what to do, and you can't force them to put Colin Kaepernick back to work. And if, for him, it's not a skill thing. But remember, we went through that period from March to July where there were people in the media who were carrying the water of the folks who were trying to argue it's only a skill thing. Man, I, I, there may be some interesting text messages and emails that come out in the Colin Kaepernick grievance that uh, expose potentially. I don't know anything here. I rarely do. But there may be some interesting conversations that happen between owners, coaches, GMs, and people in the media to try to persuade them to go with this idea that it's all about football and that's not because of the, the anthem issue. But, but I don't think either at this point. Manziel maybe has a little bit better chance. At the Impact 99, how long does it typically take you to write an article for PFT? It depends on how complicated it is. I mean, I, I wrote one in, in probably 10 minutes or less right before we started the podcast. Some take a half hour. 
some but depending if it's transactional you, a few paragraphs you, you try to i try to add something to whatever we do though i try to add some opinion some take some nugget of information beyond the actual transaction but if i get in a groove i can do three or four an hour and uh sometimes though I, and i'll know i'll know this one's going to take a while i'll know it's going to be six seven hundred words i try not to do anything longer than a thousand words but sometimes sometimes you have to i think people have short attention spans there's this weird ethic in in uh, sports media where anytime anybody writes something that's like three, four, five thousand words long, we all stand up and applaud just because it's that many words. Doesn't matter if there's quality there. Doesn't matter if it's accurate. But there's this this strange romantic attraction to long reads. Like who cares? Nobody has the time to read it. And, and most of them aren't compelling enough to hold your attention for the whole thing. But we, we are an ADD society, and we try to cater to that with short, insightful, effective. And, and I, like, I'll, I'll know. Like, if I, if I get a lot of information from somebody about something, I'll, I'll break it into as many stories as I can. Just because if you put it all in one, it's not going to have the same pop as if you break it up. Because people are looking for those small chunks. So... Ideally, it shouldn't take me more than 15 minutes because that's the kind of length. And, and I, can, I can write really, really fast now after 17 years of doing it. I, don't get, I never have that thing happen where I just sit there and stare and I say, how do I word this? The words just flow. That's the one thing that I'm grateful for. And it's a combination of God-given ability, I think, but also repetition, repetition, repetition. I never get writer's block. And when I get in a groove... I can go and go and go and just crank out copy. And, uh, um, you know, it may suck, but I can crank it out. At Mr. Nelly B, now that the Jaguars are relevant again, can you please have Tony Baselli on PFT Live? Periodically, Tony is by far the best Jags analyst out there. He's a future Hall of Famer and the only person on radio that's saltier than you are. I find that hard to believe. You could be salty bros together. He is a paisan. He could probably do a better Italian accent than Chris Sims. That was a little awkward today. Chris Sims has been doing the the Italian accent ever since he joined the program. Because I'm Italian. And it doesn't offend me. It's a joke. It's just we're, we're having fun, right? He does the bad Italian accent. He's from New Jersey. He married an Italian. I mean, it, there's nothing offensive about it. But we were doing it on WEEI at the same time the show would have been on that a week ago had Christian Fourier doing a horribly racist Asian accent. And and I think there's a real difference. I saw a few people complained about it on Twitter, but Chris has been doing that. And it's just kind of, he's Chris, Chris is not malicious at all. He's a big harmless dog. And I mean that both as a compliment and an insult. <laughs> he doesn't listen to this, so I can say whatever the hell I want. And I'd say that to him if he was on the line right now. At the Impact 99, do you believe the Falcons will try to keep or maybe even overpay Tevin Coleman because of Devontae Freeman's concussion history? No, you just draft somebody else in the fourth or fifth round. You do your scouting, you find somebody you like, and you pay somebody cheaper because you've made your investment in Devontae Freeman. At Sean Alvashire, has 345 Park Avenue ever reached out to you to complain about some of the critical things you say regarding the commissioner or the league? Yes, they have. Oh, yes, they have. And I don't have any problem with it when it happens. It happens from time to time. And from time to time, 345 Park Avenue will complain to NBC about me. Now, the one thing that really upset me, and it happened 
within the last two years, a complaint was made to me directly by someone from the legal office about something I said. And they get very sensitive when I point out that people who work for NFL media are inherently conflicted, that they're essentially like the Soviet news agency task because they're covering the NFL and they get paychecks signed by Roger Goodell. And there's something in my view that, that is, is improper about that. And I, I, and people don't like it when I say that. Well, it's true. And I've heard all the rationalizations. Well, we all have, have our, our masters and you can't write anything critical about NBC. Well, I'm not paid to cover NBC. It would be a problem if NBC was paying me to be a journalist and my beat was NBC. <laughs> kind of awkward, to say the least. So anyway, they, they don't like it when I say that. And at one point, somebody reached out and complained to me about that. And, and I thought we had resolved it. And then I found out the same person went straight to one of the big bosses at NBC and made the same complaint. And it's like, dude, I, I mean, if we resolve it here... Don't go behind my back or over my head. I mean, just don't even talk to me about it in the first place. Don't waste my time trying to come to some, some, some sort of consensus or understanding if you're going to go complain to my boss anyway or my boss's boss or how many levels up it was. And also, there's been complaining. I probably should tread. I don't. Shit, screw it. At one point, I, I eh, no, I'm not going to say it. Because I can't remember whether or not I was told this one in confidence. It's, it's another complaint that was made. But yes, they do complain. They do complain. And to their credit, NBC never tells me what to say. NBC never censors me in any way. And it was nine years ago when Rick Cordella, who's now so high up in NBC, I can't remember his title. But they put him in charge of the the digital side, because their their web presence was not anywhere near where they wanted it to be. They put somebody with a sports background, or at least an interest in team sports, in charge, and the first order of business was to reach out to PFT and make us the anchor. We were going to be the Sears for the mall they were trying to create. Maybe not the best example. But we were going to be the keystone tenant, and our traffic was going to be disseminated to the other blogs they were going to set up for the other sports. Fine. But I said right out of the gates, hey. And it was it was like this weird parallel to the meeting with Jerry and George when George gets all high and mighty about this is the show. And 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 it was his artistic integrity that was not going to be compromised and Jerry said you're not an artist and you have no integrity. So I I made essentially the same pitch. I said, "Look, Rick, I like you. We've worked well together in the past. We we would try to sell the Roto World draft guides from time to time, and they'd always do really well. So I think that got NBC's attention because NBC owned Roto World. And I said, Rick, if uh, you know, if we do this, I got to be clear about one thing: I have to have full and complete and total editorial control over the website. I can't have anybody calling me up telling me what I can and can't say. I can't have anyone telling me what I can and can't do. And if there's going to be any oversight whatsoever of what I do and how I do it, we're wasting each other's time. And his response was. I'm fine with that. And my response was, oh shit, now I got to find another way to scare this guy away. Because I really didn't want to do it. And I probably would have never done it if we didn't have multiple server meltdowns, starting with free agency, continuing with the draft. And eventually I just, I, I, I threw my hands up in the air and said, we got to do this deal. Because every time we had an implosion, NBC would swoop in and provide us a platform and it worked fine.
which proved to me that they can they can do the job. And uh, it'll be nine years, July one, with at least five more years to go. And if they they keep the NFL, which I think they will, I hope they will. I hope for it to continue beyond that. Now, if the NFL and NBC don't continue their relationship after 2022, then, you know, I don't know what we do. I guess I could stay, but it would be, you know, a strange existence. Now, Fox covers the NBA heavily through a lot of its FS1 shows, but it doesn't have NBA. But I I, I don't know. I mean, it, it will be 14 years at that point. And uh, I, I have every reason to believe NBC is going to continue its relationship with the NFL. But if it doesn't, then then that would be a natural point to consider where we go next. That's a long answer for a short question. At Millennial Entertainment is Blake Bortles elite. Come on, man. At RevWebs219. Why does Stats not want football in the Olympics? Is he just dumb? Yes. That'd be great. More football. You know what he is? He's not dumb. He's this bizarre kind of contrarian who will who will will take the other side on the dumbest things. And and we'll go through this. And again, I'm, I know I'm talking behind his back, but I would say this to him and I've said it to him. I've texted it to him. Stats will like when we're planning out the show, he'll suggest something and I'll say, I don't like that. And he'll keep pushing and pushing and pushing and he won't let it go. It's like stats of all the hills to die on. You're going to die on this one. He has a reputation within the PFT live family of choosing the weirdest hills to die on. Like, should football be in the Olympics? Why not just say it should be in the Olympics? Of course it should be in the Olympics. So, yeah, he is. I, he's not dumb. He, he is randomly contrarian and at times misguidedly contrarian, if that's even a thing misguidedly oh what the hell at Mike Tobacco will Jimmy G get a 2017 AFC championship ring do players ever wear them why do teams even make them I don't see why he wouldn't get one he was with the team for most of the season I don't know what they do with them I mean look at it this way if you were on eBay and you saw you could buy somebody's AFC championship ring what would you pay for it who cares now do you I don't think you you don't get one and a Super Bowl ring, right? I don't think you'd get two rings. I'm not big on a ring for anything other than a championship. Not an NFC or AFC championship. I No, an NFL championship. Do the Colts, did they give out AFC finalist rings in 2014? One of the funniest things I saw in the last two weeks, somebody, somebody said that they were going to hang a Josh McDaniels finalist banner. At Lucas Oil Stadium. At Beast Out 32, what are some free agents that would benefit by going to the Packers? Well, they could always use a running back, right? They need a running back. Uh, if you're a receiver that isn't looking for a lot of money, then maybe you become a cheaper alternative to Randall Cobb or Jordy Nelson. You know, it seems like their defense is always looking for ways to improve. Offensive linemen. I mean, but the Packers don't. They don't sign free agents. They've signed as many free agents with name recognition. I mean, what's it's what's it mean spirited? I've said this several times though. You could count them on JPP's hand. Reggie White, Charles Woodson, Martellus Bennett, and Martellus Bennett was a disaster. That's it. What other free agent with name recognition? They are operating this team like it's 1970, and there is no free agency. Let's see what they do under Brian Gutekunst, but under 
Ted Thompson. That's it. And, and that's what makes it so weird. Reggie White, the biggest name free agent, the guy right out of the gates, recruited by multiple teams. The Packers go all in and sign him. And it's like, yeah, okay, that worked. We're not going to do it again. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna retire one for one. And then when they did it again with Charles Woodson, all right, we're two for two. Well, now they're two for three with Bennett. Are they going to risk going two for four? We'll see how aggressive they are in free agency. At Gears of Ted, is the NFL's reactive, not proactive nature a Goodell thing, or was it always like that under previous commissioners? You know, that's a good question, and I'm not just saying that to buy time. It is a good question, because I don't remember what it was like the five years I covered the NFL before Goodell became the commissioner. I don't know if Paul Tagliabue was reactive. What, what Paul Tagliabue did, he spotted a problem, and, and he worked it out behind the scenes. I've heard that so many times. Deflategate. If someone from the Colts had complained that the Patriots are taking the air out of footballs, the thinking is that Paul Tagliabue would have called Bill Belichick directly and said, hey, Bill, here's what I'm hearing, and I'm not going to do anything about it, but let me tell you, if we check into this and we find anything moving forward, there's going to be hell to pay. Same thing with the bounty scandal. Tagliabue wrote the ruling that exonerated the players for the bounty scandal because his argument is when you have a cultural issue in the NFL— you don't change it by nailing one team red-handed and punishing that team aggressively and severely and letting everyone else go. That was the NFL's attitude toward Bountygate. The stories that started to come out, Greg Williams did it in Washington. Greg Williams did it in Buffalo. Greg Williams did it in Tennessee. And the league's response was, we don't care, we don't care, we don't care. There was a rabbit hole and they poured cement down it and uh, put a picnic table over it. There was a cultural issue that they decided to change by, by finding one team and, and basically putting their head on a spike at the walls of the city. So Paul Tagliabue was not this authoritarian figure. The Enforcer. Remember that Time Magazine cover? No. Paul Tagliabue got things done behind the scenes. The, the Colin Kaepernick case. Great example. Here's what would have happened with Colin Kaepernick. Before a grievance was ever filed, Tagliabue would have seen how the dominoes could fall in a way that would hurt the NFL. And Tagliabue would have gotten in touch with someone and said, do you want to host the draft? Do you want to host a Super Bowl? Do me a favor here. Sign this guy and uh, you'll get whatever it is you're looking for. Now, is that the proper way to do things? I don't know. But it solves your problem before it embarrasses everyone. So I'd say that Tagliabue was more proactive. Right now, it's reactive. And, and right now, like when this Kaepernick thing blows up, and, and trust me, I think there are multiple embarrassments for the NFL lurking in the documents that were produced, the witnesses who are going to be questioned. When it blows up, somebody's going to say, well, I had no idea this could happen. Well, it's only because you didn't bother to figure out how it could all go haywire. You need somebody who is capable of, of reasonably predicting how the dominoes will fall and listen to that person. I think what happens at 345 Park Avenue is... The commissioner only listens to people who tell him what he wants to hear. And that's not an ideal way to run an organization. I got to wrap this up soon. At JSarge9, did PFT commoner get his beautiful hair from your side of the family or your wife's? Uh, that, that's, that's reasonably funny. I'll give you that one, JSarge9. He's not my son. He's my internet son. So there is no relation, actual relation. Elbash96, hi, Mike, it's me, Dick. Can we get Tony Romo? off CBS. My wife is a huge Romo fan. Oh. 
<laughs> uh, yes. That one's funny. I'll read the rest of it. Hi, Mike. It's me, Dick. Can we get Tony Romo off CBS? My wife is a huge Romo fan and makes me make the Romo sound effects in the bedroom. It's really uncomfortable. That's good. See, I don't read these beforehand. Maybe I should. I just read the one from Chris Corver beforehand, and I won't be reading that one out loud. At Jmart2075, did you make stats work six hours today too? Was he paid? He worked six hours today, and he got the same extra pay that I did. Nothing. At J Ireland 80, did you ever practice criminal law? If so, what was your favorite case? I had one criminal case. See, the county that I that I practiced in in West Virginia, it did not have a public defender's office. So when there were indigent criminal defendants who could not afford their own lawyer, the young lawyers would randomly get assigned to represent them. And it's like, I don't know a damn thing about criminal law. I had one criminal client. And uh, uh, that was a frightening experience. So I, I, I was not inclined to practice criminal law because 95% of the people who are charged are guilty. And if they're not guilty of the thing they're charged for, they're probably guilty of something else. You don't land on, for the most part, for the most part, you don't land on the radar screen. At least where I live, you don't land on the radar screen of law enforcement if you haven't done something wrong. Um, where I live. Other municipalities, I know there are issues with racial profiling, and those are serious problems. I don't live in an area where that's a problem. Where I live, most of the people who are, are in the crosshairs of law enforcement have done something, have either done what they're accused of doing, or they've done something else that they don't know about yet. So I don't think there's a whole lot of satisfaction that would come from practicing criminal law in Harrison County, West Virginia. Um, elsewhere... You know, if, if, if you're good, the, the problem is most of the people who are wrongfully charged, they don't have the money to afford a lawyer. And if you're good, you know, I, and maybe there are guys doing pro bono work and, and, you know, and, and there are, uh, what is it? The Southern Poverty Law Center does great work when it comes to trying to exonerate people who are wrongfully convicted and using DNA. And, you know, what happens is, and this is a tragedy of the criminal justice system, you get public defenders who, and, the, and the way it works, and I really didn't intend to spend this time talking about it, but let me just explain it. The way it works is the best law students get the best jobs. And the best jobs are at large firms that pay big money. And uh, the worst law students who want to practice law end up working for like the public defender's office because that pays the least. So you get people who aren't necessarily the best lawyers now, some of them grow into the job, and some of them use that intense trial experience, and they become very, very good. But a lot of them just aren't good. They, they, they were at the bottom of the law school class for a reason. And they're the ones representing these criminal defendants and not doing the best possible job. And people get convicted when maybe if you had a slightly better lawyer, they could get acquitted. That's a problem. That's a problem. So that, that's a problem in, in big cities. And I think people get very jaded. And, uh, and, and I don't want to demean the entire profession of public defenders, but I think most of them would agree that their colleagues aren't as sharp as maybe they need to be. All right, now that I've inf offended as many people as possible, let's move on to the next one at Eagles Insider BR. What, in your opinion, what is my opinion on who will be the next Eagles offensive coordinator? I, I, don't, I don't have an opinion at this point, and there's a chance there won't be one. 
at Terry Gensler 14. Will Kansas City try to trade Marcus Peters? You know, I, I, somebody pointed out to me that Marcus Peters had stripped all references of the Chiefs off of his Twitter page. So I don't know. He may be done with them. I don't know whether they're done with him. But they got rid of Darrell Revis. They're picking up Kendall Fuller. I don't know what they're going to do with Marcus Peters, but I wouldn't be shocked if they if they try to trade him. Uh, at Terry Gensler 14, once upon a time during the PFT guessing game, you said you had a John Clayton story care to tell. I can't remember what it was. If I remember it, I'll tell it at some point. At Sean Alvashar, will NFL ever expand beyond 32 teams? I hope it does not. There aren't enough quarterbacks to go around for 32 teams. There clearly aren't enough to go around for 34, 36, 38 wherever at shoot Dan what do you think of limiting replay reviews to one minute if they can't find indisputable evidence to overturn the call on the field in 60 seconds the call stands I think that would help the flow of the game I I I don't have a problem with that but if you're going to activate the process I'd rather get a ruling now maybe what the ruling should be as they're looking at it, you know, hey, we've been looking at the 60 seconds. If it's not clear and obvious, we better just stick with the ruling on the field. I don't like the idea of artificially pulling the plug because there could be circumstances that that for whatever reason complicate the process, and and you don't want to have that hard out. The light goes off and that's it. The play automatically stands. But but maybe they should be mindful of the clock. And if it is taking a minute, a minute and a half. They should just, somebody needs to say, hey, we don't see enough here. We shouldn't be, what's what's Jerry Jones say, circumcising a mosquito on this one? If we can't figure it out quickly, we should just let the ruling on the field stand. At Terry Gensler 14, Howie Roseman and or Doug Peterson interviews coming soon. Yes, at the scouting combine. We'll at least have Roseman. I hope we'll have both. We've tried. I, we were going to try to do Howie Roseman this week. You know, the problem is we're not on TV. And for the scouting combine, we're going to take record video tape and play those on TV. So uh, that that's why I decided to wait. It's always better to have a, an in-person TV recorded interview than something that's over the phone. So we will get one, if not both of them, ASAP. And if we don't get both of them at the scouting combine, I'm confident we'll end up getting both of them at the league meetings in late March in Orlando. At Black 88 Elite, you should do a day where you answer our questions for the PFT podcast. What do you think? I, I do that every day. Are you saying that's all I should do? Just answer questions and nothing else? Maybe one of these days that's all I'll do because I never answer them all because I spend the first 15 minutes to half hour to sometimes longer with whatever I plan to talk about. At Recliner QB, have you heard of anything else Fox will get like the draft to justify the money paid for TNF? They, they do get the draft. I don't know if you're just you're clowning me here. But it's been out for the last couple of days. They're getting the draft. And they're also potentially going to get the wild card game that ESPN has. So they're getting a lot for the money they paid. But they're going to be televising the draft along with NFL Network and ESPN. At Terry Gensler 14, do the Vikings keep Steven, Kevin Stefanski as a buffer between John DeFilippo and Mike Zimmer? Zimmer may be difficult to work with in reference to Norv Turner resigning. I don't know that's why they did it. Because look... I mean, Stefanski may be a little salty that he didn't get to leave. When, when they prevented Kevin Stefanski from going to the Giants to be the offensive coordinator, my thought was they they uh, are serious about keeping one of the guys they currently have that Stefanski has worked with. So, you know, Vikings can go in a lot of different directions at quarterback, and maybe it's Case Keenum or Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Bradford. Between the three, I'd say Bridgewater is most likely, then Keenum, then Bradford. 
at Black 88 Elite, how are you feeling after your six-hour radio show? Like, like I had the crap kicked out of me for six hours. I don't know how anyone does four or more hours a day, every day. Now, before I did three hours a day, every day, I used to tell Dan Patrick all the time, I don't know how you do three hours a day, because I'd sit in for him, and I'd be like completely wiped out after three hours. And I guess after doing it, I don't know how many hundred times I've done it now, or a thousand, maybe more than a thousand, it's easy. So I guess if I did six hours enough times, it would get easy. I don't want to find out. Uh, at Terry Gensler, 14, great show today. Loved all six hours. Thought you did a great job keeping things fresh. So will Chris Sims be out of his gig when Josh McCown retires? He may be. We were talking about that during a break, Stats and I. Josh McCown's pretty good. He's pretty good. He was very compelling with his analysis of the quarterbacks in the draft. Now, the thing is, and, and I don't know Josh well enough to have chemistry with him. I mean, we, we have a good interview, and, you know, I'm, I'm very respectful of him. I, I like that I can bust Chris Sims' balls, and maybe I'd get that way with Josh McCown. I just feel like Josh is such an honorable, nice guy. I'd feel guilty if I, like, made fun of him. And how do you make fun of him? What's a, what, what is there to make fun of? Although, let me tell you a funny Rodney Harrison story. Rodney Harrison was playing, I think, for the Patriots. Sean King was the backup to Josh McCown in Arizona. And Rodney Harrison hit Josh McCown in a way that Sean King thought was a cheap shot. And Sean King started giving it verbally to Rodney Harrison. And Rodney's response was, shut up, man. You can't even beat out that bum. So that's, that, that's the Rodney Harrison, Sean King, Josh McCown story. But McCount, you heard Peter King, if you listen to the show today, better than competent, which, I mean, Peter was like over the top in his praise of Josh McCount, and then he ended with better than competent, which, as Josh McCount agreed with me, I aspire to be better than competent. All right. Uh, hopefully today's podcast has been better than competent. I'm going to call, I, I, actually, I think we did a full hour. I didn't mean to. I didn't want to. But uh, great questions as always. Thanks if you listen to all or part, or just any of PFT Live today. We will be back on Monday with a regular three-hour edition, I hope. ProFootballTalk.com updates all weekend long. And uh, enjoy your weekend. Thanks for your your loyalty to what we do. And uh, we appreciate you very much. Have a great weekend. We'll talk on Monday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.